Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back to the kitchen table and welcome back into the series where practical meets Jesus. We have been taking apart different just real life scenarios from potty training to sibling rivalry to feeling inadequate about your grades or your child's grades. How do we have conversations with our kids and how do we have the right framework and perspective in our own mind to understand exactly what that looks like and how do we communicate with them? That's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And today we are taking this concept and we are going to be looking at tantrums. Now, tantrums, oftentimes we think about tantrums as a something that happens to a two or a three-year-old. But if you are an older mama, you might actually put your finger up and go, no, wait a minute, I have a early, I have a teenager and I feel like they're throwing tantrums here too. And for the sake of today, we're going to be talking about this because in reality, our children experience the same feelings They're in a bigger body. They have a better ability to communicate. Maybe sometimes they have a better ability to communicate. But tantrums happen really whenever our children are going into stages of independence. And the reason that they happen in those places is because they recognize their need to be or that they are separate from us. And they're trying to move into that. And they experience great frustration there. They experience anger because they're frustrated. And then they experience despair. You know, they can't do it. The frustration has mounted so greatly that now they are just completely melting down. I have had all sorts of tantrums with all of my kids. I have definitely experienced um, the just feeling so embarrassed at, in grocery stores and um, you know, any kind of a shop when one of my children has broken down into a complete tantrum and I have felt the onslaught of teenage tantrums as they stomp up the stairs, yelling back down at me, it's not fair. I don't like you. You're not nice or whatever their iteration of it is. But today we want to understand a tantrum in light of the five concepts that we're looking at everything through to help our mindset, to give us a framework that then inside of that framework, then suddenly the gospel comes alive and we have the ability to have conversations with our kids in a way that is very life-giving for them and pivots them to the only one who will help them. So even if your child is 18 months old and having tantrums, I promise you, You can have gospel conversations with them. And if your child is older, 
These will maybe will give you a good framework, a good language to speak so that when you're in those moments, instead of short circuiting alongside of your child, which I have am very, it's very easy for me to short circuit too. So I also want to clearly state that this is with all humility. If I brought my children in here, each one of them can tell you stories where their mom has short circuited right alongside of them. They're tantruming and I do not handle it well. So let me not ever give the idea or the impression that I've just got this handled. But this framework has helped me to pull back, to look at things from a gospel framework, a gospel lens from a Jesus-centered concept and then move back into the relationship and communicate better. Let's go over again. What are the five truths that we are running everything through? We are understanding that these experiences, these tantrums that we are having, are actually holy moments designed for sacred work. This is the holiness of the immediate right here. This tantrum in Hobby Lobby, that was one that goes down in um, Kimsey lore because my six-year-old now can still remember that experience in Hobby Lobby, can still remember the discipline that came out of that experience after Hobby Lobby. <laughs> like he can, he can tell you everything about the conversation. He can tell you everything, but he remembers it. I don't know if that's good or bad. It ended up being a beautiful thing, but in the middle of it, there was a, a moment in there where I short-circuited. So, you know, the Lord in his grace gave me the opportunity to salvage it and redeem it. But um, it is still something that Timothy has memory of, and it happened when he was three. So, you know, we get to do these moments, understanding that these are the moments where the gospel comes alive for our kids. It, they really are. So what are the five things? The first one is we understand that there is a soul in need of a savior. That is what we are called to shepherd, this beautiful soul in need of Jesus. Number two, we ask God for wisdom. We want to see this moment from his perspective, and we want to see our child from his perspective. And that's really what we're going to focus most of today on is that number two space. Number three, we choose consistency in our messaging or in our pivoting. So again, every time our concept of this is the way that we we engage into relationship with our children with the idea that we are going to pivot them to the one who actually can do anything to redeem, change, save, comfort, heal, love them. But in order to do that, we need to have consistency in our messaging because nothing is one and done in parenting. This is marathon work. And so consistency is key. Number four, we pray. We pray and we pray and we pray. And y'all, can I encourage you, if you do not intercede for your children on other points, intercede for them on their heart, that their heart would be moldable by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that they would want to hear his voice and respond to it because they understand how much he loves them. 
you see that a lot of tantruming comes out of, of a rebellious heart for the, for a lot of it. And the key is not to demand obedience for obedience sake. Now we're going to, we walk our little ones through this concept of obedience, modeling and coding the whole thing with love, because scripturally what we know is that the way that we show that we love God is by obeying God. And the reason we obey God is because we have experienced the immense love he has showered us with, the immense grace he has covered us with, the mercy that has redeemed us. That's why we want to obey and our obedience displays our love for him. So that's that that cyclical movement and that understanding of obedience. So for your child in conversation with your child, when they are struggling with obeying, especially if you have a child who is more of a dominant personality, more of a, I've got the best idea concept in my head and you don't mom personality is we layer inside of obedience and coat it with the understanding of our unconditional love for them. That obedience is not demanded as a performance entity. It is the reciprocal response because I love mommy because mommy loves me, then obedience becomes an easy part of our relationship. And for some kids, that's very easy. And for some children, it's not. And I want to be clear because when we go back and we look through these steps, we're going to understand that. But in this step number four, when you are praying, you are asking the Lord to begin to help your child understand how much God loves them that God would crack that open in their mindset because when they understand how much God loves them, then their hearts will readily respond with obedience to show that their love back to God. So, and then finally, the last thing is what we're doing is we're speaking words of life over our children to our children in blessing and I'm not really probably going to focus a little bit on this, but suffice it to say that words of life in this moment are, I am praying for you to learn to obey, to learn to communicate well. I am with you in this. I know and believe that you can do it because I am asking God to help you do it. And then when I see moments of choosing to communicate well instead of losing your mind in the store, kind of moment, then I'm going to commend that child and say, I saw you take a deep breath and give me words instead of give me whining or give me a breakdown. I saw that. Thank you. I am praying for you that that will become easier for you. But I saw it today. That's words of life. That's what we give our kids. Those are the blessings we speak over them. And we say, I know you can do this. I know that God is at work in your life and he is working in and through you. And this is going to be fruit. And I'm praying for that actively every day for you. That's words of life. And we're probably not going to focus a whole lot there today. We're going to be looking back at, we want to understand God's perspective on a tantrum. How does he see it? So again, we have a soul in need of shepherding. The I have encouraged you every single week 
to have a piece of paper and be asking the Lord what is going on with your child or your children. Asking the Lord to reveal to you who this child is. How does he see this little one? And as he does this, you may begin to see a picture of a child that you didn't see before. So in terms of tantrums, there are a few reasons for tantrums. And I know that there's lots of experts that want to give you lots of things. And I'm not trying to supplant that or um, diminish any of that. But I've kind of broken it down into the ones that I've seen in my home of reasons for tantruming. And then we're going to actually just get in there and figure out God's perspective. Because I think that's the most important part of today. So yes, a tantrum can come from a heart that just doesn't want to do what they're being told. They don't want to do it. So the Hobby Lobby breakdown of um, 2017 or 2019 2019 was uh, because my child did not want to hold my hand coming out of Hobby Lobby to walk across a parking lot. And we see all these, we see all these pictures, like, I don't know, I've seen them before, like in different social media websites and stuff of like a squalling baby face. And it's because, um, they didn't want their sandwich cut and I cut it and whatever. And I think that's a secondary reason. Um, this primarily the Hobby Lobby incident was active. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. And, um, and we're going to talk about what I led him through and he didn't want to do that either. And he basically didn't want to do anything. He just wanted to run free in the parking lot, which wasn't going to happen. Um, it was a horrible incident. It ended up needing, there was some man who I don't even know, and he had to help me and all my things get across the parking lot. (laughs) My child is screaming, I don't trust you to me, his mother, because it is part of our language inside of this, this time, but I don't trust you. I don't, I don't like you. And I don't know you. And of course this man doesn't know me. And all I could think is, I hope he can tell that I really am this child's mother. But, um, it was just amazingly embarrassing on so many levels, but that child was a child whose heart was rebellious in that moment. But when your child just loses their mind because you have cut their sandwich wrong. For the most part, that is a problem in communication. Tantrums happen in struggling to communicate. And then the other one is tantrums happen, and some of these are all interrelated and they can be interwoven, but tantrums happen when the heart is flooded with emotions. Whether it is, and this we see a lot in the teenage years, so... um, Sadness, hurt, betrayal in different environments can come into the home in the the mom-child environment, for instance, and become a tantrum when in actuality you have a heart that's flooded with emotions from something else that's going on in their life that you may not be aware of yet. Maybe they're coming home from school and you don't even know. And that emotion can be anger. That emotion can be hurt. That emotion can feel like betrayal. It can feel like just frustration, but they're flooded with emotion. Because in these stages of our children's lives, they're seeking to be independent. They feel like they should be independent. Even when they're two, they feel like they should be independent. It's just 
inherent in our nature. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing in those teen years. They feel like they should be stretching their wings and doing more. And yet they're coming up against an inadequacy, an inability in some way. Whether it's in communication, they're hearing no, they're being hurt, they're full of anger, whatever. That's what's happening. So what should be our perspective? So we have studied them. We understand this is a soul in need of a shepherd. That was number one. And so what is God's perspective? God's perspective, I believe, one of the be- most beautiful places that God has shown me his perspective, and, and it's it's all over scripture. So um, Psalm 103, in Psalm 103, it says this, verses 13 and 14. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So the Lord has great compassion on us. He is not, you know, it says also in Matthew 9, for Jesus, he saw the crowds, it said, and he had compassion for them because he saw that they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And y'all, that really describes our children in a tantrum. They're harassed and helpless. (laughs) They wouldn't want to say that about themselves. They wouldn't want to admit that, but that's what they are. But we've talked over and over in the podcast that oftentimes sin is contagious. And so what happens is you and I begin to feel the emotions that they're letting off. Whether it's we're embarrassed, like in Hobby Lobby, like I was embarrassed. Why can't my kid just hold my hand and walk across the yard? I mean, and why does this have to go to this level, this extreme? Um, we're frustrated because they're not listening. They're not listening to rational thought. They're not letting us explain or nothing, right? Um, and, and so we can, it can become catching. But if we can take a step back and remember God's perspective, God's perspective is one of compassion because he knows our frame. He knows that in our very core of our being, we're flesh, we're sin. It's a struggle. We're helpless. We're harassed. Because remember, especially if your child is not saved, they have only their own flesh to help them. So if you're dealing with a very young child, that's, that's it. You know, if you're dealing with a child who says that they have Jesus as their Savior, then the Spirit of God is within them, but they're not developed in their spirituality. They're harassed. They're helpless. And they deserve our compassion because God looks at them with compassion. But compassion doesn't mean, therefore, that we're going to give in, that we're going to give them what they want. That's not the definition of compassion. But we want to take that step back and we want to understand, oh, this is a precious soul in need of a Savior who is absolutely breaking down in this moment. So what do we do? What is the perspective that we are going to take? Well, the first thing that we're going to understand is what is our role? So this again, we're still in point two. God's perspective 
And then we're kind of going to slide into point three of the pillars, but God's perspective in the pillars. This is where we're going to hang out. God calls us, and we've said this before in this series, we are called an agent or an ambassador of reconciliation. That our role is to pivot our child to hope. Our role is to pivot our child to peace, to pivot our child to true joy, because we're pivoting our child to the only one who will rescue them from their sin. From the anger that's flooding them and causing them to act out, from the rebellion that they're actively engaged in, from the um, hurt and everything that they're feeling, he is the only true comforter of their soul. Like that is what we get to do and that is what we must do. So what does that practically look like though? That sounds great, but when your kid is in Hobby Lobby screaming and flopping on the ground, uh... Bethany, what am I supposed to do? So practically speaking, my first encouragement to you, if you have, if you're a mama of a young one and I'm just going to tell you, it is the best methodology. I don't care where you are. Your best thing to do is to get that little one to a quiet space because no matter if it started out because it was rebellion or if it started out from just emotions, or if it started out from being unable to communicate. But if you're in public somewhere and your child is throwing a temperature tantrum on the Hobby Lobby floor, your best thing to do is to abandon everything and get your little one to a quiet place. So for instance, that day when I was in Hobby Lobby and this was happening, the reason that that man stepped in to help me is because I had made the decision. I had already checked out. We were leaving and I had a ton of stuff that I purchased. And, um, I was just going to leave it right there in that little lobby area of Hobby Lobby. And I was like, I mean, I can't carry it all and him and he needs to escape. Like we need to get somewhere else where it can be quiet and we can have conversation. And so I have left complete shopping buggies full of groceries as I'm taking my little people who are losing their minds. And like, I remember this one time in, um, in a grocery store and I had two that basically they fed off of each other. They were very close in age. They fed off of each other. They both broke down at the same time because I had said no about something they wanted to purchase. They both lost their mind. I could not rein them in over the course of an aisle. And I was like, I mean, we got to abandon ship. We got to go. And so I just scooped one up in each arm. I walked out. I tried to sweetly smile to a cashier and catch their eye and go, hey, there's a buggy on aisle, whatever I was just on. So sorry, got to go. And we left. Now, I know it's disruptive to our rhythm of doing groceries, but now maybe people aren't even doing grocery shopping anymore since 2020. But um, it's just important. The first thing you need to do is you need to get your little one to a quiet space, a space away from everybody else. Nobody needs people staring at them while they're losing their mind. It's, It's not even kind. And the second thing about that is when our children are losing their mind, whether they're little or even big, my encouragement to you is not, is to remember your posture. So oftentimes what we want to do, because we're going to be feeling frustrated or like we should fix this or make it stop or anything like that, is we come at them from almost like a front and almost like a towering over posture. 
And my encouragement to you is, is adopt a more come alongside of posture physically. Um, and you may have to scoop up somebody who is physically going crazy in your arms and that's okay, but you're going to get them somewhere quiet and you're not going to remove your presence. So I know that I remember when I was raising my little ones, there was like this school of thought was just walk away, walk away and they'll quit. And my encouragement to you is you don't have to engage in it. You're not in it trying to talk over them or convince them to be quiet. I usually get them to a quiet place and let the rage happen because some of that just sometimes we just need our emotions to spill out. We all need a good cry sometimes. And remember, our little people are trying for all this independence. They have a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, and sometimes it just needs to spill anyway, but they're in a quiet place and they're safe and they're just with you. But I don't remove myself from the equation. Because as an agent, an ambassador of reconciliation, God never removes his presence from me. And I'm, I'm going to be speaking and engaging in a way that is gospel centered. So I'm not going to remove my presence. So I'm alongside of them for this ride, which means I'm sitting there. I'm quiet. I don't need to be talking to them in it. I'm not trying to rebuke them in it. Nothing's going to be taught in this moment. Let it get quiet. Let them, their breathing set, you know, settle. If it's an older child and they've stomped upstairs to their room, do not wait for them to reemerge. My encouragement, give them a few minutes, let your own emotions calm down, realign your thinking with God's perspective that he would have compassion on this child because this child is harassed and helpless, and then walk up the stairs, knock on the door, and speak with quiet love. And go, hey, can we talk about what's going on? We have a phrase in our home. We say it when kids are little. I say it to my teenagers. And the phrase is simply, I'm not your enemy. So I want to remind them that we have an enemy, but it's not me. It helps me to remember that too, because oftentimes my posture can become like an enemy, right? I can tower over and say, stop it. Be quiet. You're, you're talking. You're, it's rude. And some of that needs to maybe happen, but that's going to happen later. It's going to happen inside of correction. It doesn't need to happen in the moment of rage. So again, we're talking all about God's perspective, his compassion, and then we're going to help our children learn to communicate. So we've let it quiet down. We've let the emotion, that raging emotion settle down. If you think about it like waves just going crazy and then they slowly turn into quiet rocking, that's what you're kind of waiting for in your child. And then a great question to lead with is, can you, can you tell me, are you feeling When they're little, I give them, like I give them the words because I want to teach them the words. Are you feeling mad? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling, and I'll use lots of words. Are you feeling angry? Because I don't know what word they're going to identify with, but I want to help them verbalize their word. Um, With my older kids, it's just, can you tell me how you're feeling? Like what's going on? So we are his ambassadors. We offer our presence. We do not remove that. We take the initiative. We are going to begin to teach into them this communication. When the waves subside, we are going to take the initiative. That's especially true with our teenagers when they're experiencing these kinds of things. We want to initiate to them. We want to go upstairs. We don't want to say, oh my gosh, they're so moody. And we mutter around in the kitchen for a few hours until they emerge when they're hungry. That's not a great way to do this kind of relationship. 
we want to be the initiator. Why? Because God initiates with us. He pursues us. And we want to model that to our children. And we want to speak with clarity. And clarity, what that means is when we begin to understand the situation, whether it's a disobedient situation, I'm frustrated, I'm totally full of emotions, I cannot communicate. We want to gain clarity and speak that clarity over it. So what you're saying is, and we speak our clarity over it, like, let me understand what you think, you feel, you what you're expressing. We are seeking, especially in the older ones, do you think it's wise to behave this way? Do you think this is helpful? Do you think this, you know, we're looking for them to begin to go, wow, this is not a very healthy way to engage, right? And then we're in those moments of clarity. We are going to speak that there may be consequences. So in my child, when we calmed down after Hobby Lobby, there were consequences to his behavior that needed to be addressed. But that it's no good for me to give a dole out a consequence in the middle of a tantrum. It's not going to be, that's not reconciliation, but there are, there are consequences that happen for our behavior. So that is when that happens. And then we, and we are pivoting them to the only one who brings true peace. The only one who brings true help in the circumstance, the only one who will teach them how to obey if it's obedience, the only one who will teach them how to communicate well, the one who wants to comfort them, we are pivoting them to a savior. And finally, this week, I want you to understand that I believe that a lot of, I think what the Lord showed me a script passage of scripture that has helped me more than any other passage of scripture to understand what I need to do as a mom trying to figure out what I do with my kid in those moments. And this passage is 2 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18. And it reads this, and I'm, it says, we urge you brothers, and we can say, we urge you mothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. So there's a lot of richness in this for, in these verses. And so the back half, that's our posture when we need to settle our own hearts before we step into the tantrum. We want to rejoice. This is a moment where we get to show Jesus. We're going to pray, 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 pray. And then we're going to give thanks, even that we get to do this, that we have been chosen to do this, to shepherd this little soul in need of a Savior. We're not going to quench the Spirit. That is our, we are asking God, please help me not to quench you. Please help this not to become the, the Bethany show about you're, you're embarrassing me in the store. Please let me keep this solely focused on you. But the front half, this is what we use as the lens to filter what's going on with my kid, Lord, because we know we need to ask that. So the first one says, we urge you admonish the idol. What are the idol? Who are the idol? Well, the idol are those that are disruptive. This is what this word means. It means disruptive, lazy, irresponsible, undisciplined, and a wrongdoer. So if it's definitively a tantrum because you have an idle child, and we, and I have literally, this is how I communicate with myself, Bethany, this child right now is idle. They're undisciplined. They're wrongdoing. This is straight up just being disruptive or being, I mean, like it's just straight up idleness. What am I called to do? 
I'm called to admonish that. To admonish something means to correct it. That there's going to be consequences. There, there's, I am admonishing them. But the second one says, encourage the faint-hearted. Well, who are the faint-hearted? Because sometimes I, I have a child who is having a complete ten, tantrum meltdown, but I realize they're not idle. And sometimes they're faint-hearted. And being faint-hearted in the Greek is to be disheartened, timid, feeble-minded, or discouraged. In fact, when you really drive it down, what Paul's saying is they are an undeveloped soul. They're a soul in need of development for whatever reason. There are a lot of faint-hearted little ones throwing tantrums because they just can't. They can't communicate well and they're losing their mind. They're struggle bussing like crazy. Our teenagers are full of faint-hearted little ones. They're hurt. They're struggling with what other people are saying or doing or how they're feeling. Are they they just not, they're faint-hearted. So what do we do with them? What well, says we encourage them? We, we don't admonish them. <laughs> so it's important that I can, I can dissect these apart and go, where is my kid? Because I don't want to admonish the faint-hearted. That's just discouragement on top of discouragement. They're already discouraged. I want to encourage them. And what it means to encourage means to give external support, confidence, and hope. To stimulate, to grow. So what does that look like in your home? And how does that change a tantrum in your mindset? But again, it's important. We pray. We ask God, show me which, what's my kid? Are they idle? Are they faint-hearted? And, and here's the third one. Help the weak. Okay? Help the weak. All right? Well, my kid's weak because I'm stronger than them. That's not what it means. This means without strength. This word is only used two times in the New Testament both by Paul. The other time this used, this word is used is in Romans 5, 6, where it says, while we were weak or while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This word weak means weak spiritually. This is this concept of being either unsaved or very, very young in the faith. It's something like that conceptually. And what are you to do? You're to help them. This is this concept that we need to understand. We want to help them hear the gospel. We want to help bear their burdens before the throne. That means we are praying for them. I encourage you pray over your children out loud. Let them hear you pray for them. Because no matter what, if they're an idle child, they're also weak. So we admonish and we help. The helping the weak, it happens to everybody. Everybody gets help. So pray over them. Pray out loud over them. Pray fiercely for them when they're in the bed. Tenderly care for their hearts with gospel truths. Again, temper tantrums are hard. They're brutal. There are days when you just go, your child has decided that this is the day. It's tantrum central. And it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm encouraging you to plow the ground. Dig up the soil and plant the seeds. You are in a work with your heavenly father. 
growing and tending to little green shoots that will one day be oaks of righteousness. That's what we're praying. That's what we're claiming. That's what we're standing on. But that job is a marathon and some days are hard. But this passage of scripture for me has helped me more than anything else to be able to dissect out where is my child today? How do I speak best to them? How do I bring the gospel to bear in this situation? As always, I am so thankful that you come and you sit at this table with me. I pray that this is a series that is helping you to put practical boundaries around concepts. I pray it is. I pray it is making some sense and in, in moving inside of your home and moving inside of the, your thoughts. But more than anything, I love it when you reach out to me. I love it when you let me know what you're thinking. Um, and if you have any questions or comments, feel free to let me know. My friend, you are a warrior. God is in you. He never leaves you and he equips you. He offers all his wisdom and his discernment to help you walk your days out. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to bethanykimsey.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.